0: Prime members, you can listen to Dagel Bites ad free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Dagel Bites. I remember. I remember. You We are back in action here on the Daigle Bites podcast. It's so good to be with you. We're kicking off this season talking about childhood, some stories about my young career in music, and some about how those early days still live in me. When I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I was asked, what's the first song you ever performed on stage? It was a Christmas song. I was three years old and I played a camel at the church play. But I can't remember what song it was. It was a Christmas song. Um, And then the other, like, so I did my debut as a three-year-old camel. That was when I was three. And then when I was in the third grade, so there's something about these threes, y'all. When I was in the third grade, um, that was the next time I ever performed on stage. And my music teacher came to me and she said, hey, I would love for you to be the one who leads the solo. And I didn't think, I, I didn't know that anybody could see that I Loved music. I just knew I loved it in my closet. You know, I would sing to my shower. And she said, I want you to be the one to do the third grade solo. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was freaking out. And it was Man in the Mirror by Malcolm Jackson. I'm talking with the man in the mirror. I I put the cassette in, not CD, the cassette in, and I would sit there next to the boombox and just listen to it on repeat. Little did I know I was becoming a perfectionist at, in the third grade. <laughs> Who knew what my career would have been? But I can't say I still don't do that these days. Oh, I have a new song to learn? Okay. And I go and sit with it for like a year. In Tulsa, I was also asked, when did you start singing? It depends on if you want to talk about while I was a camel at the age of three in the church musical. Um, but in reality, it wasn't so young. Oh, I started singing professionally because third grade was my kind of like my moment, you know. I'm kidding. I started singing in the church choir when I was 16. And then professionally, I started singing uh, when I was 18. That was the first time I was ever paid to sing. That, I guess that's what professional means. The second you become paid to sing, that's when you're a professional. I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> There are a lot of people that are paid to sing that are definitely not pros at singing. <laughs> and I was one of them at the time. I, I had to learn how to become a professional and I'm still learning. I feel like I learn every day. I don't know if I would even consider, my, I consider myself a professional as far as it is my career. But I feel like I'm learning this instrument more and more every single day. And that's because of the people around me I have a vocal coach. A lot of people think once you, you know, get on stages like this, you stop working with a vocal coach. Opposite. I work with a vocal coach even more now that I'm doing things like this. So for all the aspiring singers out there, put in the hard work. It's worth it. It's so worth it. Tulsa is one of my favorite cities to tour in. I think it's kind of one of those caveat cities that you don't expect to be as amazing as it is. Um, I absolutely love Tulsa. There's tons of great shops. There's a great coffee scene in Tulsa. Lots of really good boutiques. Um, and there's a hodgepodge of different areas. I think you can kind of see unique architecture, um, the way the houses are laid out, the greenery. I just, I love it. I love Tulsa. I think it's a great city. Also, Tulsa hosts the BOK Center. And right across from the BOK Center, or the Box Center, if you will, is this area this jazz bar that I love going to if I can if I make it there after the show it's one of my favorite ways to just kind of wind down after a long night but they have great music and another good thing about the box center is that they have scooters and photo booths backstage so you can ride around the box center the concourse all of that on scooters those like bird kind of scooter scooters and then They have um, this photo booth. And while you walk down the hallways, the lights change as you take steps. So it's all animated and automated to your steps. It's really cool. Um, Lastly, one of my favorite architects is Frank Gehry. He was the guy who created deconstructivism, which is like where you bend metal and you take these hard objects and make them flexible and soft and the BOK Center absolutely reminds me of that, that style of architecture. So, it's one of my favorite venues to play in. Um, it was definitely a bucket list venue, so to get to play there was, was one of my favorites. While I was there, I was asked, how old were you when you started playing piano? I was actually in the third grade whenever I started playing. My mom, she said, okay, I want you to be able to have something that goes beyond gymnastics. Because all I wanted to do was flip all over the place. I'd say, Mom, I, w- I just want to be an Olympic gymnast. And I was like, okay. Um, or she was like, okay, that's great. And I'll put you in gymnastics. I love it. Awesome. That lasted about two years. And she was like, okay, piano. Sounds great. I think she saw where the future was going well before I could. So I started playing in the third grade, but I did not have Discipline which you clearly have. I don't even know how to play "You Say" on the piano. Confession. And honestly, to watch you, I'm like, okay, I want to get back into it again. But when I was in the third grade, I didn't have discipline. I just wanted to run around and jump on things. And she was like, no, we're going to do this. So I would start and stop and then start and stop and start and stop. But it was in high school when it became real to me, when I really loved to play the piano. Every now and then I'll sneak away and play a little bit but I'm not that great at it I still have a lot to learn (laughs) in Spokane Washington I was asked how and when did you know you were supposed to be a songwriter I'm still wondering myself I still don't know if I'm supposed to be doing that but uh (laughs) I'm kidding (laughs) um there are those days though where you're like is this what I'm made to do but honestly it all started in that season when I was when I was really sick I um I remember I found this um, like devotional book. It was called One Minute of Praise. And it was really, really short. I was super fatigued. So, and it, it would mess with my eyes a lot. Um, so I would get my, like really bad migraine headaches. So I, I didn't have a lot to give as far as reading and things like that. But there was this devotional that I could read every day. It was just one little short paragraph. And I remember thinking... If I'm like going to sit here and read this every morning, if this is filling me up the way that it is, if it's encouraging me the way that it is, maybe there's something in this process that I should write for someone else as well who might be going through the same sort of thing. And I didn't know at the time because this is what I would do. Okay, so imagine I'm completely isolated, like no friends. I saw my family... When my sister and brother got home from school, it was one of those kind of things. And my parents both worked. It was the only time in my life where my mom um, was a school teacher, and so she was gone. She was gone really, really long hours. She was the overachiever school teacher. Any school teachers in here? Yeah, she was the school teacher that would still be there at like eight o'clock at night. <laughs> that was my mom. She just loved teaching. She loves kids and she was a first grade teacher. So kudos to all the teachers out there. I have a deep love and respect for you guys. Um but that was a side note. <laughs> so I was alone all the time, really every day. I would sleep for about 15 hours and then I would get up with just enough energy to like walk upstairs. We had a loft and I would go sit in there and read that devotional or just lay on the sofa all day. And um I remember reading it and thinking, well, this is written by like a 40 or 50-year-old woman, and I'm 16, (laughs) so that's funny. But this is ministering to me. It's meaning something to me. So maybe what I'll do is write a devotional for 40 and 50-year-olds at 16. So that's what I would do. I would just, I would go and I'd read the word, and then I would start writing devotionals. I found the, the journal the other day. It's really comical. I need to I need to pull some out and like post them just to be funny, but it was honestly really cathartic for me, and I think that was God kind of writing on the tablet of my heart, like who I was becoming, and He used writing as a place of um, freedom and curiosity and wonder, and writing became the place that I was able to live in um, whenever I was kind of isolated from everything else in the world. New Orleans, baby. My favorite, one of my favorite cities in the world, but I might be just a little bit biased. I was asked, what is your favorite childhood memory? I have a couple. Hmm. I'm gonna say this one, and I'm only saying it because of the trees, but there's another little caveat to this story. So I, like, like I said to Eva, I loved climbing trees. And I wasn't really obsessed with Tarzan, but I had seen it once. And that was enough for me to know that I could be Tarzan. So I was, I guess I was probably about eight years old. And in our our backyard, we had these very specific trees that had vines on them. And the vines were pretty high up in the tree, but they were thick. They were about this big. So it was just enough for me to swing on, maybe stand on, don't get any ideas, but I'd climb the tree, and I'd get to the top right before the big bushy part was there, and I would climb out onto the vines, and I would stand on one, and I would get the perfect swing, and then I would jump with all my might to the next vine and catch it. Someone just said, oh my goodness, <laughs> and I would grab a hold of that one, and then I would climb my way up and then climb back down the tree. I loved it playing on those vines. Well, this one day, I was clearly a daredevil, didn't know it, little adrenaline junkie, had no idea. It's fun how your youth is foretelling of who you become. <laughs> but I I remember this one day, I was with my friend, and I said, come play on the vines. It's amazing. We, we can be like Tarzan. And we got about midway up, and she's like, oh, I, I think I'm afraid. And I said, oh, you're not afraid. Come on, get up here. It's going to be a blast. She said, Um, I don't think I can do this. No, you can do it. Just tell yourself you can do it. Everything's going to be fine. Come on, it's so much fun. Don't miss out on the fun. Peer pressure. So she climbs up and she gets onto this one vine. And I'm like, now all you do is jump. You're fine. All you do is jump. Just stand on the thing and reach as far. Don't put your arms down. Reach as far as you can. Well, she gets a little freaked out. And her arms don't reach as far as they probably should have. And just like, it would be like climbing to the top of the tree and then just jumping out of it. She just sails across the sky and falls right onto the ground. She ran all the way home. And I didn't see her till the next day. And when she came back, she had a cast. And I said, what happened to your arm? She said, remember yesterday when you fell out When we fall out of the tree? So it didn't exactly make you fall out of the tree. But when you fell out of the tree, she said, yeah, I fractured my wrist and had to go to the hospital. Well, I like climbing trees. It was pretty awful. Anyway, (laughs) that was one of my favorite childhood memories, the tree climbing part. One of my absolute favorite childhood memories. I love, love this memory. I had this neighbor, her name was Catherine. She lived next door to me. She was the younger sister, and she and my younger sister had the same birthday. And then she had an older sister, and I was the older sister in my family. And the two older sisters had the same birthday. Isn't that random? Um, Yeah, I love I love that family. And we would wake up at three or four o'clock in the morning. Her dad would come in there and say, "Come on, girls, it's time to get up." We would jump in the truck half asleep, groggy-eyed, but full of excitement. Our hearts would just be, you know, tinkling with joy and anticipation. And we would jump in the truck, drive about an hour away, and we'd go crabbing. Now, if you don't know anything about crabbing, there's these huge nets that you have to throw out a particular way. You let it sink a little bit. And we're talking like nets that are probably... I don't know, eight feet in diameter. And then you, you hoist them a certain way. You got to put a lot of hip into it. You know what I'm saying? You throw them out and you let the nets kind of sink down, sink down, sink down. And you wait for this particular moment. And then you start to pull them in really fast, really fast, really fast. Cause you don't want any crabs to get out. And so we'd pull up with these nets and we'd put all the crabs in the buckets and we'd go back and we would, uh, We would get to our neighborhood probably around, you know, 10 a.m., 12 a.m., I mean 12 p.m., something like that, and then we would have a big old crab boil with the whole neighborhood. All of our friends would come over, and in Louisiana, we sit on the front porch. We don't sit on the back porch because we want all of our neighbors to come and hang out with us, so it was kind of a way for everybody to get together and have a meal together. Those memories are, they're absolutely what made me who I am today, and I'll never forget that. While we were across the pond in one of my favorite cities in the world, London, which I love so much, I was asked, who was your biggest role model and inspiration growing up? When I was a kid, I loved, loved, loved Celine Dion and Whitney Houston. And I remember as like a five-year-old little girl feeling things so deep and so personal through the way that they communicated, the way they expressed so much passion through their vocal. And it wasn't ever the instrumentation that I was really focused on as much as it was how to communicate pain or how to communicate sorrow or, or joy or a beautiful story. How do I communicate? I remember as a young child being fascinated by that. So I would look for these vocalists and I would wait by the, the radio just to see who would come on next. That was pre-streaming, you know. I didn't have that. <laughs> but I, um, I remember Whitney Houston, Celine Dion. Those were vocalists that I loved. I love Stevie Nicks with Fleetwood Mac. Love Fleetwood Mac. Still to this day, probably one of my favorite, favorite bands. My dad used to play this game with us called the dollar game. And if we could guess who was singing, he would, or what band it was, he would give us a dollar. If it was really hard, he would give us five dollars. And, I, he always played classic rock from the 60s and 70s. And I think because of that, it trained my ear to start picking up different nuances from different artists and things like that. Um, so I loved, I loved everything from Fleetwood Mac to The Beatles to The Rolling Stones to Led Zeppelin, all things classic rock. And then um, I remember loving like Bruce Springsteen And Aretha Franklin and Al Green, I loved Motown growing up. Now I'm listing off like basically everything, but I loved Motown music. My uh, grandparents loved to dance, so they would teach us like steps and different things. And um, I remember my grandfather, there was this, on like a QVC, there was this ballads um, like set of CDs that you could buy. And he bought this ballads, and I rem- remember just listening over and over and over again, um, just being enamored as a child. So that was like a rock ballads type thing. So, yeah, all different, all different types of music, but um, I would say huh, it's hard to pick which one was my favorite or the most influential, but I would say my younger years, Celine Dion was, was really influential. My older years, I think Motown. And classic rock really started to influence a lot as well. It's so fun to reminisce on these moments that have brought us to where we are now. So thank you for sharing that with me and listening in. Always remember, you can send in your own questions to podcasts at laurendagle.com. And we'll see you next time on Take Bites. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Daigle Bites ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants